Hello, everyone. Hello, and welcome to AIDS Map Chat, the podcast. My name's Susan Cole. And I'm Matthew Hodson. And we're so glad that you could join us for our weekly show where we'll be chatting to guests from around the world about issues around HIV, uh, particularly um, during this current COVID crisis. We've got some amazing guests this week. Um, I'm really excited that we have uh, Dr. Uh, Oni Blackstock of the Bureau of HIV Prevention and Control for New York City. We've got Midnight Punkasid Watana, who's the Executive Director of the Asia Pacific Coalition on Male Sexual Health, and he's talking to us live from Bangkok. So not only is his name midnight it is also midnight where he is and we've got two brilliant young activists from the uk becky and eli wonderful so matthew um i see on twitter today that today is a special day for you would you like to share with our audience around the world <laughs> well today is the 22nd anniversary of my hiv diagnosis um which um, obviously, I was like incredibly young when that happened. I mean, like kind of six. <laughs> I, I was, um, I, I, was uh, I was thirty when I was diagnosed, and I do reflect sometimes that if I hadn't been diagnosed and if I hadn't been able to access treatment, um, I would not have lived as long as I have done. Um, and I still feel fit, and I feel healthy, and I'm really grateful that I was diagnosed in an era where treatment was available to me. But I think this is something which feels very live at the moment because what I'm seeing you know, from friends and colleagues around the world, uh, particularly with COVID and with the lockdowns that are happening, is that people are no longer able to access treatment or mm -hmm. some people, you know, because of lockdown, they get unable to put food on their table and without having food, they're unable to take their medication because they can't take their treatment on an empty stomach. So it's leading to real problems of adherence. Also, we're seeing problems with the supply chain. A lot of the drugs are manufactured in mm. India and, and because of uh, lockdown restrictions, they're just not exporting or they're not importing into some countries. So once again, I've just made acutely aware of how this pandemic is having a huge impact on mortality, not just from the mortality that we're getting as a result of direct deaths, as a result of COVID-19, but also people who are dying of other conditions who otherwise could have been fine, should have been fine. Absolutely, um, yes. I'm really consciously aware of the health inequalities um, that we're experiencing at the moment. And there are, as you pointed out, there've been reports in Uganda um, of people just not being able to um, take their medication, not feeling able to, because they literally just don't have food to eat, to have with their medication. And it's such a challenge, particularly for people who live day to day and need to work on particular days in order to get the money to buy food. So the situation is very different um, from around the world, but I think that that should be, a, that's a good time to bring in our first guest, from New York. Hi. Hi, Oni. Oni, sorry. Yeah, so thanks oh, so much for, yeah, thanks so much <laughs> for having me. And Matthew, what you were saying was really resonating um, with me just in talking about what it was like in the early days um, when you were diagnosed and just thinking about the folks right now in current day who are um, struggling to get access to treatment at the, at the New York City Health Department. That's something that's definitely a priority for us, making sure people have the medication they need. 
And of course, I mean, New York was one of the epicenters of, 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 of certainly of the, the Western HIV crisis, mm -hmm. and particularly amongst uh, gay and bisexual and trans and queer communities there. How, how, how are those communities coping under lockdown? How are they coping with COVID? Right. Yeah. Now. So, yes, I would say it's probably been like a varied response, probably a diverse response. So I think there are some LGBTQ New Yorkers who, again, experienced the early days of the HIV epidemic here in New York City, um, who may be experiencing a lot of anxiety and sort of seeing a lot of the parallels, some of what you mentioned between COVID-19 um, and the HIV epidemic, particularly around um, the government's delayed um, and maybe inadequate response um, in some levels. To the, to the pandemic, as well as some of the inequalities and the vulnerability that we see among certain populations. So we're seeing that, also seeing, you know, social isolation. Um, LGBTQ folks, especially older folks, are more likely to live alone. And so people really rely on their social networks. Um, and so it's very different when you aren't able to see people in person, as you well know. Um, intimacy is really important, you know, mm -hmm. so lack of both social and sexual contact really impacts our overall um, well-being. And then also we've experienced the loss of a few um, LGBTQ community leaders to COVID-19. So Ed Shaw, who was like a longtime HIV activist, um, really known for his compassion and kindness, he um, mm -hmm. passed away, as well as Lorena Borjas, who is a, who was a trans-Latina um, advocate who saved many many lives um, and the work that she did um, with um, trans women, particularly in Queens and throughout New York City. So um, I think it's really hitting folks um, really hard, but we're also seeing a lot of community-based organizations coming to really support folks and really work on connecting folks virtually. That is one of the, one of the connections we are seeing between the crisis in the 1980s and the crisis we're seeing now. And I think that community response is so powerful and so at this time of, you know, it's such incredible difficulty, it does give you hope to see people responding and working together as communities to support each other. Totally, totally. There's Sage, Sage Connect. Sage is like an organization for older LGBTQ people, and they have a program called Sage Connect where volunteers can sign up to um, give calls to older folks who are queer who may be dealing with social isolation. Um, we've also seen um, the Alley Forney Center, which provides services to homeless queer youth. They have kept their doors open during this time, which is tremendous. And um, organizations like the um, LGBT Center in the Village are offering online groups and remote services as well during this time. So they have really stepped up um, to support um, the community. Um, Amy, um, Black people seem to be hardest hit yeah. um, by COVID-19, both in the UK and the, and the US. Mm -hmm. Why do you think that is? And how do you think we can address that? Yeah, I think it all boils down to structural racism. Um, you can think of it on several different levels. So structural racism impacts the types of jobs people have access to. So I know we see this here and I think likely um, where you are mm -hmm. as well, we see black and brown people are more likely to be the frontline workers in service industries. So they're more likely to be then exposed to COVID-19. Um, we also know it's also about where and how people are living. Um, so mm -hmm. if you're living somewhere where you don't have the luxury to socially distance, People may be living in homes where there are multiple generations living together. Um, and so that increases exposure. And then we see black and brown folks um, throughout the, the world, but you know, in the UK and here in the United States, having mm -hmm. a higher prevalence of underlying conditions that put people at higher risk for severe illness due to COVID-19. And that's a result of 
potentially lack of access to care, um, but also mm. the weathering effect that we see from chronic racism, that it, it, it's, a, it's mm. a stress on the body that causes sort of advanced and accelerated aging. Um, and then lastly, I would say provider bias also plays a role. So right. you know, we have stories here um, where people have gone to multiple doctors asking for testing and they have not been able to get it. And we do know from a lot of different studies um, that biases kick in when people are working in really high stress situations. Um, and so to think that there may be people who may be overlooked because a provider has a certain bias towards one type of patient compared to another. So all these things act together um, and really um, increase um, the impact it's having on black and brown communities. Absolutely. And um, um, women living with HIV are, are disproportionately affected. Um, what are you doing in uh, New York to, to address that? Yeah, so we have a few different initiatives through the New York City Health Department. Um, a few years back, we um, convened a women's advisory board. So we have representatives from many different community-based organizations throughout New York City who are focused on the health um, and wellness of women, HIV prevention and treatment. Um, and so that women's advisory board helped us to put on what has now become an annual event, which is a Women's Health and Activism Summit, which brings women from all over um, the city, many different communities, to really talk about and advocate for issues around sexual health, mental health, intimate partner violence, as they impact um, women, particularly Black women. Um, we also launched in 2018 our Prep for Women campaign, so that you know, mm -hmm. Prep is the once a day. Um, daily pill that you can take to prevent HIV. Um, and so that was a campaign that blanketed the city, primarily focusing on black and brown, um, cisgender and transgender women. And then this past year um, in 2019, we conducted a campaign directly to women's healthcare providers to raise their awareness um, and their knowledge about prescribing PrEP um, to women, knowing that black and brown women are disproportionately impacted. So that's some of the work that we're involved in. The work that's coming out of New York, the, 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 this status neutral approach to HIV prevention, to some of the campaigns you're doing, I mean, I always find, you know, bloody Twitter, blog, whatever, but you know, I'm always retweeting <laughs> the stuff that comes yes. out of New York because it, I just find it really ins inspirational. And, and I think, you know, the work you're doing is fantastic. I, such a pleasure to have you on the show thank you so, so much thank you thank you thank you so much for Thanks. coming on Oni. it's been an absolute delight okay be well and stay safe thank you, thank you. thanks Andy again bye-bye oh, oh, oh she's so she's amazing isn't she yes. um so uh well, we were talking earlier on about uh, some of the challenges that, uh, we, that we're hearing about in terms of getting access to treatment. And obviously, this is a, a challenge worldwide, but it is affecting different countries in different ways. Uh, we've heard a lot coming out of um, uh, Uganda and, and Kenya um, and also in South Africa. Um, and also I was reading today about Pakistan and about Indonesia. Um, mm -hmm. We've got a great guest now. We've got uh, Midnight Punkasad Watana, uh, and, and he is uh, speaking to us from Bangkok. Hi, Midnight. <laughs> Hi, Susan. Hi, Matthew. Hi. Good morning, Hi. did I say, or should be good evening? <laughs> <laughs> good morning to you. <laughs> what time is it actually there, Midnight? Well, it's coming to um, quarter past midnight now. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> So, 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 so midnight. Um, I, I was actually in Bangkok uh, earlier on this year, and when I was there, there had been a couple of cases, and I mean, at that point, there hadn't been any cases in the UK at all. And kind of, there was a lot of kind of people were wearing face masks on, on public transport everywhere I went, but there was no lockdown or anything like that. Mm -hmm. 
but actually I was just looking at some of the data reports and Thailand seems to have quite low numbers of COVID being reported. I mean, what, what do you think the reason for that is? Oh, well, maybe, I think many reasons. Uh, I suppose um, in Thailand, well, in Bangkok in particular, we've had quite a lot of um, pollution. So people are used to wearing masks and then we've had political upheavals and flooding and uh, SARS. So I think people are so used to kind of like wearing face masks and, you know, staying out of the way. And I guess also that we don't touch people very much. You know, a lot of touching as well. Uh, so that, I think, helps um, in terms of um, the kind of social distancing that uh, everyone's practicing at the moment. In Bangkok, the lockdown came in um, about mid-March, uh, mid so about 18th of March. And that was when I think um, numbers was really high, uh, not just in, in our region, but also in, in Europe as well. And I think that's when then we realized that uh, uh, there has to be much more stronger measures, particularly around. So now we have curfews from... Um, uh, 10 p.m. to 4 in the morning, and the decree for um, state of emergency is being extended until the end of May. Okay. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, uh, just when you said uh, the, the, the kind of culture is not about touching, um, and I, I would just say I went, I went to a gay bar when I was in Bangkok, and I got touched. Um, um, <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. Um, uh, but it is, I mean, Bangkok, especially in Thailand, is, is, is much more liberal towards LGBT than lots of other countries in, in the region. How do you think LGBT communities kind of across a- Asia and the Pacific region, how, how are they coping right now? Well, so Matthew, you've been to the gay bars in Bangkok, so you would know that we really rely on um, the tourism industry, right? So as uh, sex workers, um, you know, it's really famous uh, globally and, um, and you know, they're really mm-hmm. suffering at the moment, particularly because, you know, there is no um, uh, customers and because of the lockdowns and it's much more difficult. I was actually on um, kind of co-hosting a discussion with the LGBT community in Thailand this afternoon uh, and swing the sex worker community has been talking about like how some have been able to kind of work on you know cyber sex online but many are still relying on you know being in bars or being in um, uh, certain hotspots and then have the kind of like the, those, those customers so with the uh, the lockdown and the curfews is it's been really difficult so swing has been given like uh, food packages um, sanitary pads water uh, mm-hmm. to the communities, um, really like, you know, at the, at the core phase in terms of responding directly to, uh, to the sex workers. Whereas in, um, you know, the states or other, um, big NGOs are not able to really reach the populations. And, yeah. and Midnight, have you found that people are having issues in terms of getting hold of their ARVs in the regions that you work with? Oh, definitely. Um, so the organization that was co-hosting this call this afternoon, the Post Home Center, they work um, uh, with people with HIV, particularly for um, MSM and also trans people. So we have massive, massive issues, even though some places, uh, hospitals in Bangkok can send um, ARVs uh, multi-months to, uh, to the clients. But many said like they, they haven't been, they didn't disclose to their families or whoever mm-hmm. they're living with. So getting packages from the hospital, you know, can really help them basically. So, um, you know, for hospitals to kind of dispense multi-months, they would prefer to kind of have it, you know, not issued in the hospital package. Or actually they would prefer to go to community-based um, organizations to receive um, uh, the packages uh, somewhere else. So this is where I think the, the communities really plays a key role in terms of the, you know, being part of the health systems where mm-hmm. I guess all of us know that we've been talking about it all the time around um, communities being at, you know, at the center of the response. And, you know, this uh, right now actually 
we need to document how the communities can really you know, mobilize themselves, even though with limited resources, to really reach the populations and be able to kind of like uh, air out the concerns that um, you know, their peers, um, friends are experiencing. It's, it's interesting. I, 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 th I think that's another theme which I'm hearing about from all around the world is, is, is actually the, kind of how the attitudes towards sexuality, for example, is having a real impact or the attitudes towards HIV is having a real impact because if people are unable to be open about their sexuality or they're unable to be open about their HIV status, that creates more barriers. That, I mean, we're seeing horrendous stories about uh, intimate partner violence, but also abuse of children within re family relationships because everyone's stuck at home. And so all of the challenges that, uh, that are there existing anyway are exacerbated because of that very enclosed uh, relationship that people are having right now. Well, just to give an example, the, the, the tea group which works with um, LBQ women, uh, you know, also talked about, um, you know, being stuck at home with families that might not accept them. And uh, there are cases where there, there is, um, you know, violence where they want to reach out to be able to kind of move somewhere else and the coordinating between different agencies to, to move, uh, you know, people away from where, where the experience violence has been really difficult to coordinate during this time. Midnight, it's been fantastic talking to you. Thank you so much for coming on the show, for staying up so late. And um, you know, we, we wish you, I mean, thank you, Matthew. Thank you, Susan. Thank you, thank you so much, Midnight. You can go to sleep now. Thank <laughs> you. Bye bye. Um, I was just uh, reading, I mean, you know, again, we, we think about some of the kind of other losses that we're experiencing as a result. And, um, and we talk about our ability to prevent HIV and looking at or to treat it effectively and uh, I see that the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation have recently announced that they're actually now going to push all of their funding into COVID work um, yeah. and they have been one of the big funders of HIV work including uh, you know treatment research uh, as well as you know lots of really supporting prevention activity around the world and you know we're going to see the impact of this and it's really quite frightening. You know, absolutely. And that's one of the issues that our, our friends at GMP Plus have um, really been highlighting in terms of you know, how the HIV response is going to be affected by this, because we've made so much progress over the last few years. And, it, and it's so worrying. Um, if funding is taken away from HIV, what's going to happen? Yeah. So, yeah, I'm going to do a really cheap segue, but I mean, the, one of our next guests, Becky Kroger, um, and the first time I met her, she talked about, you know, being born and and as a child, just, you know, expecting to die because there wasn't the effective treatment. And then when you meet her, which I hope she's going to be coming on any moment now, um, <laughs> you know, she has Fingers such, such exuberance and life. Hello. Oh, Hello. There she is. There she is. Hi, Becky. Hi, and Hi. have we got your mate Eli with us? Hi. Hi, Hi bro. Hi, guys. How <laughs> wonderful to have you um, both on. I mean, the, the youth voice is so incredibly important. So it, it's an honour and, and a privilege. Um, to have you but to have you both on I mean we were just having a chat um just before we went live about how young people are being affected and um I know the um there was going to be the Chiva camp in August yeah. that um that's been postponed and um mm -hmm. you were very enigmatic about um you know what, what's <laughs> happening for, for young people living with HIV. Um, 
So at the moment, I'm in touch with um, the Children's HIV Association, Chiva, and we are basically virtually keeping in touch with young people um, within our network and we're making sure that they're okay. And every Tuesday I join a um, like a, a Zoom call with them where we, we check in, we make sure that um, everybody's got what they need at this time. And we also check in like what help them set goals for what they're going to do in the future, maybe next week or the week after and things like that really. Um, yeah, it's been it's been a bit crazy, but we're making sure that we trying to reach all of our young people from camp. Brilliant. Eli, um, as a trans man, how, how, how is this affecting trans youth? I think like a major problem is probably transphobia at home and sort of trans young people being stuck with either like transphobic parents or other people in their houses and they can't quite always have the opportunity to be themselves. And like, I'd reckon maybe also lack of being able to know what's actually going on in terms of access to care and being able to access like hormones and blood tests and appointments and especially with really long waiting lists there's a lot of uncertainty on how people are actually going to get their appointments in the future and and, and i see i mean the government seems to be making kind of really unpleasant yeah. noises right now about mm. um, treating trans teen teenagers mm. I think um, Corona's definitely made a little bit of air, like a bit of space for transphobia, um, especially within the government to just sort of come around and the media not pick up on it so much because of all the other news on lockdown and stuff. Yeah, um, it's, 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 I, I find it really quite extraordinary. I mean, again, I'm talking about Twitter again, but you go on there and mm. I see trans communities being attacked at a time when we should all be looking out for yeah. each other, we should all be really trying to support each other. It just sickens me. So I'm mm. I'm really sorry that you and you know all your all of your fellows are, are going through this right now. It's really not the right time to attack anyone. No, it really um, isn't. Um, so what are you guys? What are your strategies for actually um sort of staying cheerful? I know the two of you are like 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 busy mates aren't you the first thing we did was to speak to each other this morning yeah so <laughs> i have this thing where i just have to facetime my friends but i'm not that normal texter or like just contacting you over snapchat i will facetime you um so this morning i facetimed eli just to check in on him and then also just to talk through about um yeah what we're doing now really yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> how about you eli it's staying socially connected really important for you in terms of coping at the I moment. think so. I think it's good to stay connected with like communities that I belong in. Otherwise, I am very isolated. Well, we're all isolated, but especially when you're living with HIV and you're trans, it's very like you have all these other things that you can't quite relate to to the people in your house. So it's nice to stay connected with friends. Um, do, do, do you live with friends or with, with family? Or I live with family. So there's and lots I, of now children running around. <laughs> <laughs> and and um, like, so what would you have a message for young people living with HIV today who who may be maybe struggling 
through this crisis. Is there something that you would like to say to them? Me? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Thank you for so basically, I did my message on the Chiba Twitter, um, yeah. but it's just basically to say that, like, as a person living with HIV myself, I really am thinking about other young people living with HIV in the country, um, and in fact, all over the world that might be struggling. And my message is to you guys: is if you can be in contact with um, with other people you know who are living with HIV, get in contact and have a catch up. And also, important, most importantly, if you can and are comfortable, take your meds together, because I. I found that has helped me and a couple of my friends that I'm taking meds with at the moment. That's great advice. And Eli, you, your, your words of wisdom to the nation. I think to just stay connected, like keep in touch with friends, keep in touch with groups um, and take your meds, always take meds. It's always a really important message. Thank you both so much for coming on the show. It was really Thank great you, wonderful. Yes. wonderful to have you. So since we've been on air, I, I, we just got a message. Uh, it was in response to uh, me saying that it was my 22nd anniversary. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, someone just kind of wrote in and said that um, actually his experience was he's only just been diagnosed. And because he was diagnosed late, he actually was diagnosed with pneumonia, was hospitalized mm-hmm. and then came out of hospital. And suddenly this, mm-hmm. yeah, everyone um, has now kind of got ill or you know suddenly he came out in the midst of a pandemic and how traumatizing that must have been um i guess for anyone who has been isolated for another reason and then can come out and find this is what's happened in the world it's kind of quite it's quite intense isn't it i guess absolutely so your words of wisdom then matthew let's put you on the stop for someone who has been diagnosed (sighs) today um well um i my words of wisdom it's always uh make sure that you're well informed take your meds and moisturize because you're going to live for a long time (laughs) wonderful and i think that we have now just run out of time that half an hour has gone so quickly i would like to say a huge thank you to all of our guests. You are all extraordinary. It's been an absolutely brilliant session. And I'm, yeah. I'm very much looking forward to next week. Would you like to share who we've got coming up? Uh, next week, we have Dr. Rigeshri Darawan, uh, who is a one of the leading lights in the HIV care world in the UK. Susan, have you ever heard the expression U equals U? I have. Indeed, yes. Yes, well, that's probably (laughs) as a result of the advocacy of of the incredible Bruce Richmond, who is the founder of the Prevention Access Campaign, or one of the founders of the Prevention Access Campaign, and who has made it his mission to ensure that everyone in the world knows that people who are virally suppressed on HIV treatment do not pose any risk of sexual transmission to their partners. Um, And he is an amazing guy, and we're really excited to have him on. Am I right that we've got Ian? Is Ian coming We have, indeed. Yes, we have. (laughs) Uh, And we also have um, my very good friend, uh, Ian Green, who is the uh, chief executive of Terence Higgins Trust, uh, the UK's largest HIV charity. Um, And not only is he that in that esteemed role, but he has actually got a very personal perspective on COVID because he came down with it himself and was quite poorly. I've, I, because of work, I, I have had lots of Zoom calls with him. And I have to say, Ian, I love you, but you look like hell. 
um, uh, so um, not now. You look you look great again now, obviously. But um, but it, it it kind of really brings it home to you how this can strike down anyone. Um, so it'd be really interesting to hear his perspective oh. next week. You've been wonderful. Take care. Thank you. Health. Bye. Bye. Thank you very much for listening to AIDS Map Chat, the podcast. Please do rate and review us and subscribe wherever you get your podcast on Apple, Acast, iTunes or Spotify. We hope you can join us again next week.